Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's edition of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on the podcast catcher of your choice. It is listed on Apple Podcast, Blueberry, Podbean, Stitcher, Alexa via TuneIn, and you can stream the episodes directly from the website abouttreeview.com. While you are on the website abouttreeview.com, you can find full links to the show notes and guests, as well as you can support the show by clicking the links in the description below. There's a direct PayPal link if you are feeling generous. There's also an Amazon link to a wish list. So if there are things that you are thinking that could help the About Review Studios, click on that and get some ideas. On this week's episode, it is a solo show, as my schedule has been absolutely crazy, traveling here, there, and everywhere, uh, but this week is going to have reviews for two new movies, which is Nutcracker and the Four Realms, as well as A Private War, plus I will be, or I already, by the time you're listening to this, uh, covered the 48-hour horror film project for the second year in a row. I have been a sponsor of that festival for a few years now over multiple festivals. It was great, so I will be breaking down my favorite films, and there will also be interviews with city producers Kirk Nordenstrom and Chris Flink, as well as director and filmmaker Dominic Barbaro and actor and filmmaker Isaac Trimble. So that will be later on in this episode, as well as the geek news, of course. Before we get into any of that, we will get into the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. The geek news coming at you this week, hot off the presses, but by presses I mean possibly a few days late, so possibly these stories might not be accurate, but here we go anyway. Uh, So, as I talked about last week with the cancellation of some of the Marvel Netflix shows like Iron Fist and Luke Cage, we were talking about how most likely they were going to start focusing on the new Disney streaming service and the original content there, as opposed to keeping it on Netflix with these exclusive contracts. Why would Disney have exclusive contracts with Netflix if they're going to be rolling out their own streaming service, which they are? So they also announced the name of that Disney streaming service. Drumroll, please. This is where I may or may not put a drumroll in there if I figured out how to edit that in. Uh, The name of the Disney streaming service is Disney+. Plus. Yeah, so inspiring. So, but it is similar to ESPN Plus, which they have had for a while, and they own ESPN. It makes sense. It is synergy. It is branding. It is just kind of boring. But regardless, what is not boring 
is the announcement of kind of their first Marvel show that will be an exclusive to Disney Plus. Falcon and Winter Soldier are going to have a limited series in the works, or it currently is in the works, uh, by the former uh, Empire writer, Malcolm Spellman. So this is most likely going to be like maybe a six or eight issue miniseries directly to Disney Plus for them to kind of test out this limited series with true MCU characters getting their own shot. Even though in the first kind of season of Daredevil and a little bit of Luke Cage, they would mention the incident kind of tying it into the MCU very, very loosely. This will be the first one where it is like, hey, here's an original show that actually ties in. Yes, they tried it with Inhumans, but Inhumans was garbage. So that they're just kind of forgetting about completely. So yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier in a miniseries. I am 100% down for that. Those two characters had great chemistry in the Volkswagen scene, which was great. But also, I just, I like both of these characters. So I'm interested to see when that will be happening and kind of what comes out, especially after the events of Infinity War Part 2. Because as of right now, one of the characters that is headlining this show is in a difficult situation, is what I will say. I guess spoiler rules are still in effect. I have no idea. But regardless, excited for the Falcon and Winter Soldier series, which we will probably will not see for another, like, at least year. So, but it, it just really goes to solidify all of those thoughts and feelings of getting away from Netflix because they have their own pipeline. So, yeah, so I am down for that. Switching universes to a company that has no idea what they're doing, it feels like. DC. I love you, DC. I truly, truly do. You will always have my heart, but come on. Somebody needs to take control of these things. Anyway, uh, so the Birds of Prey movie, which they have fast-tracked for some reason, not sure why, uh, cast its villain, which Ewan McGregor is going to be playing Black Mask. Now, who is Black Mask? Why is he important? I am glad you asked. Basically, the most important thing to know about Black Mask is that this is a unique villain that we have never seen in the Batman movies. They have hinted at some really cool villains in Batman's Rogue Gallery, Rogue's Gallery, and some of the other movies. There's even a Clayface pseudo mention for those who are kind of eagle-eared listeners in Christopher Nolan's movies. But having Black Mask, a unique character, and a relatively new character as well, as opposed to one of these legacy characters that has been around since the 40s, I think is really solid. Uh, Black Mask was also the villain in Arkham Origins, uh, the video game from a few years ago, which was really solid. So I'm excited for this, but I would be way more excited if I had an iota of faith in what DC is doing past Aquaman. I would say Wonder Woman, but since they pushed it back six months, I my stress level and concern just went up a couple levels. So we will see. When this happens, if it happens, I think Ewan McGregor, I mean, he is a great actor, so I think he will do well. Playing a, playing a super intense crime boss is definitely a turn for him, so 
We'll see what happens, but so far, the Birds of Prey movie, I mean, you're going to have Black Canary, Huntress, uh, Harley Quinn. The main casting that I'm excited for, though, is that Rosie Perez is playing Renee Montoya. That has me excited because Rosie Perez, I've had a crush on, I think, since I was like six years old. So, we will see. We... I just do not know with DC. This is one of those things where I feel like by the time I report this, within an hour, they could be like, oh, just kidding, uh, Birds of Prey is no longer happening. Who knows? But they have fast-tracked it, so there is possibly uh, that this could happen. So, cool if it does. Uh, Ridley Scott plans on moving forward with Gladiator 2. Yes, the sequel to the movie that came out in the year 2000 and had a bajillion Oscar nominations and I think won like three or four, maybe even five Oscars. I love Gladiator. It is a beautiful movie. Why do we need a sequel to it? And this is something where I am a sucker for sword and sandal movies, sword and sandal books. One of my favorite book series is a pentology actually no longer it is no longer a pentology they added another one um but yeah the sword dancer saga of tiger and dell i love sword and sandal stuff i just this is just kind of weird uh the premise as of right now is that this would not be about russell crow spoiler alert he done got stabbed a few times um uh, it would be about the son of the Emperor, Lucius. So this would be... I mean, maybe he becomes a gladiator, but why would somebody who controls the... I have no idea. Either way, that is kind of the story right now, is that it would be about the son of the Emperor, Lucius. So that would be Joaquin Phoenix's son. Oh, no, no. Actually, the son of uh, Lucilla. Yeah, Connie Nelson Nielsen's character. Who knows? Uh, I feel like I have said who knows about all of these stories, but regardless, I will see this movie whenever it comes out. I'm a sucker for these movies. I just think it is kind of odd to be like, cool, here's a sequel to a movie from almost 20 years ago. Why not? Could we do an original idea? Yes. Are we banking on the fact that it is named Gladiator, which will get a lot of butts and seats? Absolutely. So, yeah. But Ridley Scott, he is solid, so I will see it. Uh, there have also been talks about a movie. This has been tossed around also for years at this point. Halo. Yes, Halo from the video game series. They have done some interesting digital projects with this before, but Showtime is now saying they're doing a series with Master Chief, or slash John, Uh Ooh, here's a little spoiler for you. So, Master Chief never takes off his helmet, and his name is John. Who is somebody else named John who remains anonymous? Am I saying that I am a super soldier? Possibly. Uh, but no, I, I, I am not. Anyway, so Showtime's Halo series is kind of in pre-production, and they're working through casting. If this happens, it could be interesting, and I think Showtime, especially with kind of the bigger cable channels getting into more original programming or kind of this would be adapted programming from a video game franchise. 
not many video game related projects do well. So this is a gamble. And I think that as popular as Halo was and still is, I mean, it still makes a boatload of money every time they drop a new one. I just, I feel like this, they should have gone ahead with this when they first started talking about it, like six years ago, eight years ago. And I think more people would be excited right now. It is like, all right, cool. It is Halo and you will get a bunch of people there. But the timing of it seems a little bit weird. So when it happens, cool. They are set to, I think, start filming in Budapest in the summer of next year. Since this is a TV show, futuristic sci-fi TV show with space marines and Spartans, or the Spartans are the space marines, um, maybe 2020? Like fall 2020 is when we would start to see this. So, interesting choice. Uh, speaking of video games, though, I am all about the segues today. Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, came out recently. I watched my buddy Chris play it when I was in Vancouver, staying at his place for the Vancouver Asian Film Festival. It looks incredible. I played Red Dead Redemption 1 all the way through. I think I got 100% on it, except for a couple of the random side missions. Gorgeous game. Over its three-day weekend, or three-day release weekend, it made $725 million. Now, to put that in perspective, that is the single biggest sales weekend by any brand, in any medium, in entertainment history. No movie has done that in three days. Like, it is crazy. The only game that came close to it was Grand Theft Auto V, which hit a billion in three days, which, I mean, is, is insane. But that was not over a weekend, and it it's kind of weird the way that they kind of distinguish that. But still, $725 million is madness. The game looks incredible. I cannot wait to actually sit down and play it when I have time to breathe, which I have not recently because it has been crazy busy. But yeah, congratulations to the Rockstar team. Not that they need it from me, a little old podcast, but good for them. Uh, it it looks amazing. So yeah, that kind of wraps it up for the geek news. Uh, so what I will do is now go into the first review of the movie. The first review of the movie. The first review, which is the movie Nutcracker and the Four Realms. Now... This is an interesting take on the classic Nutcracker story, or rather the Nutcracker story that became popular from Tchaikovsky's ballet. So this is directed by uh, Lassie Hallstrom and Joe Johnston, and it stars a whole bunch of people who some were in it for no reason whatsoever. But Mackenzie Foy plays Clara, who of course is our lead she is our driving force she is our character and she is strong-willed and is not really i want to say as as timid as she is portrayed in the ballet but in this one like they really drive it home like this is a very intelligent capable young woman and that was cool i think that was a nice that is a really good message to kind of put out there and it follows her as she goes into 
what we become or what we know to exist as the four realms. Know to exist? No, we do not. She finds out that there are four realms as she follows this thread. And her kind of mentor is played by Morgan Freeman as Jocelyn Meyer uh, with this really cool, like, kind of steampunk eye patch and look in Victorian England. It did remind me of A Wrinkle in Time from a while ago, which is to say these movies, there are a lot of critics who are going to pan this movie, who are going to say it is terrible, who are whatever, whatever, without realizing this is not the demo. We are not in the demographic for these types of movies. So with that said, <laughs> that was my disclaimer before I get into the rest of the movie. First off, beautiful costuming and makeup. Anybody who listens to the show and has listened for a while knows that I love costuming and makeup. I think it is incredible. So this movie crushed it. Did a really, really great job. I have seen <laughs> the Nutcracker performed, the ballet, the Nutcracker performed at minimum uh, 30 to 40 times. I used to work for a ballet company in one weekend, I saw it six times. So I know this story and I know the set piece and I know this atmosphere very well. And this movie was jarring in that it does not, to me, I will say it does not really have the feel of the Nutcracker. Yes, there are the cues of, you know, the Tchaikovsky score that are woven through the movie, and there's a beautiful sequence uh, with Misty Copeland and Sergei Polunin in, like, kind of the middle of the film that tells the story of the four realms. Misty Copeland is one of the best ballet dancers alive right now, and she gets, like, five minutes. Come on! <laughs> you are doing a movie based off of one of the most, if not the most, Actually, no, it is the most well-known ballet. To put it in perspective, here's a little non-profit performing arts uh, backstage secret. Most ballet companies nationwide, the Nutcracker performances is 40% of their revenue for the year. So it is extremely popular. It has been for a very long time. So when you give this amazing ballet dancer, two of them, Misty and Sergey, the set piece and they are beautiful and amazing and you you get that feeling of the nutcracker and then it goes back into a random story with clara meeting these other three or four leaders of the realms two of which uh the two guys uh shiver and uh, i forget the other one's name just disappear from the movie for large chunks of the time and we are left with kira knightley I mean, as a sugar plum fairy and, I mean, of course, Helen Mirren, which is great, but none of the motivations made sense. We never really understand why the characters are the way they are. A little bit with Helen Mirren's character as Mother Ginger, but not really. Like, it was just, it was very oddly structured, Um Going back to Misty Copeland for a second, in the post-credits scene, I highly recommend people stay for that, because as the credits are going along, 
there is another set piece, a ballet set piece. And she, she is phenomenal. Just, just watch that. But the movie itself was just structured very oddly. Some of the things that the characters said that we were supposed to like believe and supposed to be attached to, when you think about it, do not really make sense. At one point, Clara is, Clara is told by a parental figure that, you know, she was the best thing she did with her life. Um, Clara has other siblings. So it's like, okay, that is weird and kind of rude to be like, you, my one child is the best thing I have done. Ignore these other kids. Kind of just weird, but whatever, nitpicky. My favorite characters in this, though, were the Cavalier and the Harlequin, which are played by uh, Omad Jali and Jack Whitehall. They're the comic relief. They're the two bumbling soldiers that are just there as, as set pieces to relieve the odd tension that is played throughout the movie. They were hilarious. At one point, Jack says, oh, you know, we'll go after them. We're trained killers. And he throws up his dagger to catch it and just completely misses. Just really funny, just kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, really funny, just kind of slapstick style humor. And I appreciated that. I think that was just well done. Um, the rest of the movie was just odd. I mean, I, I kind of keep going back to that. Odd. <laughs> um, Kira Knightley's portrayal of the Sugar Plum Fairy has these weird kind of twists that, again, just do, to me, just did not make sense. And I feel like this movie is just banking on, this is the Nutcracker Beautiful costuming, recognizable music. Here we go. Without really doing much else. And the composer, uh, let me see if I can find him. Who was the, to the Google-later? Uh, uh, no, uh, composer. Yeah, I, I cannot find it easily. But this composer, that for the music... He is not really a... Oh, so the music was James Newton Howard. I have a hard time giving him a music credit considering he was more of an editor and not really a composer. You already have a gorgeous score by Tchaikovsky. All you did was just kind of splice it into random places just to give people those moments of, oh, I remember this part, or, oh, this is great, this is the pivotal moment. Uh, that was kind of it. Uh the mouse king or the rat king in this is super weird and grotesque and just weird and did not make much sense. Um, overall the story just, I mean, it is weird to say this, but it felt uninspired, even though they were doing a lot of new things and introducing a lot of new kind of lore to this world. I, I just did not really feel anything from it but again i know that i'm not the target target demographic even though the nutcracker means a lot to me and i have seen it and been a part of productions and like i i know it i think the younger folks who see this you know under maybe oof 10 i think might appreciate it a lot more it is very colorful it is quick like there's a lot going on 
I just did not really find that much enjoyment from it. So those are kind of my thoughts on Nutcracker and the Four Realms. The official rating system for the About to Review podcast, if this is your first time listening, there are only three choices. No grades, no stars, just three choices. Good, bad, or ugly. Broken down simply, a good film is something that you enjoyed. You came out of the theater, you wanted to talk about it, you wanted to tell other people about it. A bad film, you came out of the theater, maybe not feeling like you wasted two hours, but it was also nothing that you got excited about. Ugly, avoid at all costs. Now, (laughs) the costuming in this, brilliant. The color play dynamics, brilliant. The story, a mess. The ballet in it, not enough. The characters, they disappear. I was just, I was really disappointed in this film. And the biggest critical mistake that Disney did, they released this Halloween weekend. What are you doing? That makes no sense. Granted, there are some bigger animated movies coming out in the next couple weeks. Uh, I will be talking about one next week, The Grinch. And then Wreck-It Ralph is around the corner. But why are you releasing a quintessential Christmas production of the Nutcracker Halloween weekend? Uh, That blows my mind. At least do it like if they were to drop this the week of Thanksgiving or the weekend before Thanksgiving, knowing that kids are out of school, that people will want to watch this, that would be solid. Instead, the weekend of Halloween is just dumb. So my official rating for the Nutcracker and the Four Realms is bad. Like just a solid bad. This is a movie that I will forget about, but I will go back and only watch the ballet segments from Misty Copeland because that was the best part of the movie. The credits with her dancing were the best part of the movie. (laughs) The rest of it, I have no interest in releasing again, but I know that there are a lot of people who are going to get something from this. So it is not an ugly, but it is a solid bad. So see it at your own risk. Um, all right. So next movie, shifting gears completely to a dramatic biopic called A Private War, directed by Matthew Heineman, who is the documentarian behind Cartel Land from a couple years ago, which was a gorgeous film. So A Private War tells the story of real-life war correspondent and journalist Marie Colvin, who is played by Rosamund Pike. Now, what is interesting is that Matthew Heineman, uh, yeah, Heineman, brings that kind of documentarian style to this biopic in a fascinating way. Because essentially, he went from a documentary with Cartel Land with drugs and everything to then doing a biopic about a different type of war zone. And he does it in a way where it feels like a documentary. It, it has that same type of passion and intimacy of a documentary in this big biopic. So Rosamund Pike plays Marie Colvin. Uh, Jamie Dornan plays Paul Conroy. Tom Hollander plays Sean Ryan. Stanley Tucci plays Tony Shaw. These are all real people. <laughs> who were doing real things. What this movie made me realize is I did not know anything about Marie Colvin at all going into this. I mean, she was a acclaimed and award-winning 
war correspondent and journalist for The New Yorker and a bunch of other magazines that I just, I was not reading at the time of her kind of prolific writing that was going on. So I went into this not knowing anything. I mainly went into it because Rosamund Pike, this woman stays busy. She is incredible. And I might actually be interviewing her on an episode here coming up. I'm still waiting on some details on that, so I cannot go too much into it. But there's a possibility that I will be talking to her and the director of this movie, A Private War. So this movie follows her as she bounces around from just war-torn area to war-torn area, both in kind of the Middle East and in her regular personal life, which is also a battlefield of its own. The title, A Private War, plays on so many different levels. Again, depending on the battlefield, depending on the scenario that she is in, it is a war zone. She is portrayed as a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, but the places she went and the things that she did and the people she interviewed were brutal and were intense. This movie, for for just a war movie, not even a war movie, a movie about war and battle, is intense. And it just, again, it felt real. I think that also is attributed to Matthew Heineman coming from that documentarian background. So, again, it showed my ignorance that I did not know who this was, but I went into this just ready to learn, and I did. Uh, the performances by everybody were incredible. There were some kind of weird jumps. So the first two acts of this movie, where we see Rosamund Pike as Marie, again, going from place to place where she is in tunnels, she, she is in caves, she is in buildings that are falling apart or being bombed that she is in. And it would go from like this tight intimacy of her in a cave, like wanting to help these people. And literally the next scene, she is in like this hotel or resort calling her boss, Tom Hollander, who plays Sean Ryan being like, we need to get these people out and I need to tell this story and don't tell me no. And then it would cut back to her in a different cave or area and have this grounded intensity. But then it would show her at a different hotel making these calls and it was like, okay, where, where where are these places? And those transitions, I think just were not consistent enough to show she went from this very, very rough part of town or part of the world. And then suddenly she is back at this like four star hotel working on her, on her writing. That was just kind of odd. Uh, That was just kind of a weird pacing thing. The third act, though, is where this movie hits its stride, and my goodness. I mean, Rosamund Pike is tremendous. She definitely is on people's radar for awards, again, like she frequently is, but she was incredible. The third act of this movie really drives home the point of, like, she is addicted to this thing that she is doing, this journalistic pursuit of going into these places of danger. And she has multiple people around her who are like, why are we going back here? There are still people there. There are still people who need a voice and I need to be that voice or nobody will. That was intense. It was beautiful and brutal. Uh, Yeah, really, really good. The subtle subtle aging effects that they did with, 
with Rosamund Pike where her hair would kind of start going a little bit thin, a little bit gray. Her teeth were getting progressively yellow as we keep seeing her smoking and drinking. That was really well done because again, it just, it was a subtle thing, but it showed what this type of life was doing to her. Um, the thing that it did that was incredible that I talk about on every biopic I see that I'm a huge stickler for show us clips at the end of the movie, show us even pictures of the real people so that it immediately humanizes it. It immediately reminds us this really happened. This person's story that you just watched for the past two hours or 90 minutes happened. This is who the real person was. They did arguably one of the best jobs of a biopic in a very long time. In the film, it shows a video interview that she does with Anderson Cooper. And it, it is playing, I mean, Rosamund Pike is doing the voiceover for it. But it is actually showing Anderson Cooper and everything. The movie ends and in the credits, it shows real video interview footage with Marie Colvin. It shows pictures of the people that she was with at, in these war-torn areas. And immediately it makes you realize, oh my gosh, Like what we just saw Rosamund Pike go through, this woman that I am seeing on screen right now went through. That was incredible. So yeah, this movie really blew me away. One of the other unique angles that it did is it showed PTSD a, not just from a veteran, but from a journalist who is there with the soldiers, who is in the places the soldiers do not even want to go. So showing that type of PTSD was really unique and showing how PTSD affects women. I cannot remember a movie like this that showed that type of humanity with the female lead and PTSD and how it differs and how her struggles as she wanted to continue her career, she wanted to just keep driving forward. But the vision, the visions she is having, the sleep that she is losing, it was just, it was tremendous. Um, nobody felt out of place. The ensemble, like everybody just felt grounded and real. Even Stanley Tucci. And I love Stanley Tucci. But a lot of times you're looking at him and you're like, oh man, I love Stanley Tucci. In this movie, like he just, he fits all of the characters fit into place to make this fantastic ensemble. So, yeah, uh, go see this movie. My official rating for A Private War is good. This movie is phenomenal. Really, really enjoyed this movie. And I'm not a big war movie fan. But the way that this is told, the way the story progresses, even though the first two acts are a little bit choppy, I was just, I was really, really impressed. So yeah, so that was A Private War, starring Rosamund Pike. Uh, go see it right away. Now the moment that some of you uh, have been waiting for for a while. I know that I have a lot of listeners who are in the local area who either compete, participate, or attend the local 48-hour film project uh, screenings and the films that they are in. And again, I have been a sponsor of this festival for a few years I love supporting local cinema because it is truly what is important. These movies, like I just talked about, A Private War is going to make money. Nutcracker, even though it was dropped at a really weird time of the year, is still going to make money. 
those are going to be talked about by a lot of people in a lot of different places. My goal with this podcast is to shine a light into those areas that are not going to get that much publicity and press, and I do not understand why. So the 48-hour horror film project uh, was Halloween week, or Halloween night, I should say, when I saw the screening. <laughs> um, a night chock full of films. It was incredible. Again, these folks have 48 hours to film, to write, film, edit, and <laughs> drop off their film. They have to include four elements. This year's elements... Uh, the best use, the dialogue was, oh, please, it's not that impressive. The prop were scissors, and the character was Bob, Bob or Barbara Barnes, yoga instructor. So you are given those three things and a genre at random, and then go. Make your movie. <laughs> it blows me away every year. Um, I cover two of these festivals, 48-hour film project festivals every year, the summer event and the horror Incredible. Uh, so, I'm just going to get right into it because I know that people kind of know the know the festival and know that know that project. So, I'm going to do my three honorable mentions uh, first, and then I will go into my top three films. After those films, then you will hear the interviews with Kirk Nordenstrom and Chris Flink, the city producers for the 48-hour film project, both of them, uh, as well as Dominic Barbaro. Uh, filmmaker and director of Area 43 from Team Narwhal, and then Isaac Trimble, uh, whose film Sacred, part of the Three Warriors team this year. He did Red Fawn uh, last year with Shadow Dancer. So yeah, you will hear interviews with them after I talk about my favorites. So first of my honorable mentions, the team name is Light Form, and the title of their film was No Joke. So their genre that they randomly drew was clown. This movie opens with this old man in clown makeup, like kind of not dirty clown makeup, but aged clown makeup, just sitting in a truck, just hanging out. And you're like, uh, okay, where's this going? He then witnesses a girl kind of get taken and murdered. Essentially, he goes into a barn and sees a bunch of, murder that has happened he then kind of basically this not even long story short what am i talking about this film is like five minutes long this whole thing is just mistaken identity so people see him as this kind of killer clown very much reminding me of like tucker and dale versus evil where we are used to seeing the crazy hillbillies be the murderers and everything but really there is just happenstance that has led them to get into these situations very much what they did here, what Team Lightform uh, did. Really funny. Uh, he basically goes into a house with a shotgun. The family is freaking out because they see a clown with a shotgun. And he was like, no, I'm here to protect you. They're trying to get you. Meanwhile, the family is is not buying it. Uh, it ends with him saying, I'm a mother effing clown. But it just like the theater just laughed wholeheartedly and it was just it was a really done film really well done really done a really well done film it was funny it had those kind of scary moments the actor who did the clown this older gentleman crushed it 
He was really good. So yeah, light form, no joke, gets my first honorable mention. Uh, my next honorable mention, the team was ST Productions, and theirs was Blood, Sweat, and Fears. Their genre was zombie. Now, zombie, some would say, is like the easy, uh, easier, I will say. None of this is easy. Making a film in 48 hours is very difficult. I want to get that out there on Front Street. But some would say that zombie is like an easier one to go with because you're like, cool, everybody knows zombies, here we go. This one had a unique twist in that as the zombies are chasing after somebody, one of the zombies is basically just out of shape and out of breath and cannot get to the zombie or get to the person to eat the body. So then it has to like basically go on a diet, starts going to the gym and working out. There's this montage scene where he is training. Really funny. And that, again, is just something that we do not really see. We don't really think about when you're watching Walking Dead you know what? How do all of these zombies have the same resiliency? How do they all have the same stamina? So, funny, well done. The intestines that they used in this short when they did finally attack the human and start eating them, somebody just dumped a bucket of spaghetti um, and sausages on the person's stomach. Really funny. Well done. <laughs> so that gets my other honorable mention, ST Productions, Blood, Sweat, and Fears. They also get bonus points from me because they included the line, um, oh, come on, it's only five bucks, which was the line that you had to use in the summer event. Well done, folks. That was clever. Those of us who watch all of these and have for years, I appreciated that. Uh, my next honorable mention, the last honorable mention, team is T-Rexy. And the film is Attack of the Five Foot, Attack of the Five Foot Creature from Antarctica. Yes, you heard me right. There are two clever things that this film does. One, black and white. And it even, like, the voiceover even indicated, like, yeah, I did it in black and white. I don't know how to color correct. I wasn't going to pay $150 for some software to do autocorrecting. That, smart. And I like that he pointed it out. So that was well done. Two, this was a silent film, for the most part. The genre that they chose was actually monster creature feature but they did it as a black and white silent film with just a narrator, like a third person omniscient narrator telling the story. Very smart. Very well done. That is something I have talked about before with these festivals. Getting your ADR and your sound lined up and leveled is tough in general. It is just, yeah, it gets arduous. Doing it in 48 hours, very difficult. So basically making this a silent film with just one person talking very clever. I appreciated that. Uh, it essentially, <laughs> I mean, um, a, a woman in a relationship feels ignored. So she starts kind of texting with somebody. Who is she texting? Just a five foot penguin. And then they end up having a glorious day and dancing around together. Uh, and then murdering the boyfriend, husband, partner, whatever it was. Some of the dialogue in this was great. Uh, it said, penguins are always down to murder. And behind every murderous woman is a weirdly hot penguin. Really funny, really clever. And again, smart filmmaking choices. You have 48 hours, people. You can go adventurous. You can do big and bold. And I encourage that. But at the same time, make the film. 
turn it in on time <laughs> and just run with it and have fun. And these folks definitely had fun while making this. So I appreciated that. So yeah, those are my three uh, honorable mentions. No Joke by Lightform, Blood, Sweat, and Fears by ST Productions, and Attack of the Five-Foot Creature from Antarctica by T. Rexy. Now, my top three films of the 48-Hour Horror Film Project 2018. Number three, and I hope I get this name right, uh, Imaginite, and the film was Blind Boy's Bluff. Their genre was Curse and Prophecy, so these three young girls, three young women, are basically telling ghost stories and saying that where they are in this cabin in the woods, there was a blind boy who always got picked on and then he disappeared and nobody was able to find him. So then, of course, being <laughs> basic chicks in a horror movie, and that's not even a you know negative thing, it is just what women and people do in horror movies. They make dumb choices. So they decide to blindfold one of their friends and essentially try and summon this thing or unintentionally summon this blind boy. This film was shot beautifully. Like there were some filmmaking techniques with this that are like close up of a boot with a fly. There's a spider making a web. It is filmed in like this kind of dark and foggy forest. Impressive. So I really liked that, and it was also really clever because as, you know, one of the characters thinks that the monster is behind her, essentially, and you see it over her shoulder, she turns, you know, turns her shoulder, kind of turn as she turns back the other way where you're expecting the monster to either be closer or on the other side of her, it is just gone. And that is done, you know, in a clever way, which realistically the actor just needs to, like, squat down, and then he would he or she would be out of frame. But in the tone of the movie, it made sense. It was really well done. Filming outside, especially in the Pacific Northwest, can get real tough. So, But it looked beautiful. The three actors, uh, they were all great in it. And I just I liked the story. And they really also kind of grabbed that genre of the cursed prophecy and it made it make sense. Um, I liked the visual effects that they had in The Blind Boy. You know, they had kind of like a white sheen or sparkle to his eyes, which another character has later. So, yeah. So, good job, uh, Team Imaginite, I think, uh, for Blind Boy's Bluff. Number two, my second favorite for the 2018 Seattle 48-Hour Horror Film Project, Team Narwhal, Area 43. Now, their genre was dark horror comedy. Uh, this movie starred some some staples of the of these competitions from Mighty Tripod Studios, uh, Angela DeMarco and David S. Hogan. So this film is essentially an alien abduction story, but almost like a rehabilitation story. And is the human actually on a human planet or an alien planet? We're never quite sure which one is which. But again, the dark comedy aspect, the genre that they chose, worked really well. David delivers two lines, just deadpan and serious. But it it was just hilarious. In the context of the movie, at one point, the abductee, you know, says, you know, they're like, oh, you know, welcome to Area 43. We're here to help with your rehabilitation. He was like, oh, like... 
Area 51. And David deadpan was like, we were here first. And that was it. Just really quick line, clever, smart. There's another one where he is dropping a file, you know, in front of the abductee while he is doing testing and messes up the file. And there's a funny exchange there. The other thing is, and you will hear me talk to Dominic Barbaro about this film a little bit later. Uh, gorgeous cinematography. Some beautiful drone shots. The, again, the benefit of filming in the Pacific Northwest is it is gorgeous. It also makes filming outside really difficult when you have to deal with different lighting and clouds everywhere. But yeah, beautifully shot, well done. And it was just, it was a solid concept and movie that made sense and you were just kind of in, on for the ride or in for the ride. So good job, Team Narwhal for Area 43. Now, drum roll, please. Again, if I figure out how to put a drum roll in here, I will. If not, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, My number one film of the 2018 48-hour 48 horror film project. Team name, Film Vandals. And their film, Kill the Stream. Their genre was Escape Room. And again, they grabbed that genre and really ran with it. This was kind of a Saw-esque type of scenario where a man is watching a live stream of this, uh, uh, I mean, essentially escape room where people are then sent there and people watch it. They can vote on how that person is going to die or get killed. Rather, it is on the news. It is all these things. His partner gets home, girlfriend, wife, whatever she may be. And she's like, "Ugh, you're still watching that, blah, 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 and like makes him feel bad about it. So he was like, fine, you know, kind of shuts it down. But he is still just enamored by this kill stream uh, or not kill stream. I forget the name of the actual like quote unquote show that he was watching. But it was just it was a unique concept. And the twist at the end to this escape room was also really well done. It is hard to hard to not spoil a movie that is only like six minutes long. But again. A lot of these teams put their films out on YouTube once the festival is over. You know, once everybody has had a chance to see it at the festival and vote on it. So I highly recommend uh, going to Team Narwhal's Facebook page, um, or not Team Narwhal, sorry, Film Vandal's Facebook page, and finding Kill the Stream. Great acting. I mean, it was only a cast of like three people, four if you can't the newscaster. And the chemistry between them was really good. I liked the twist a lot. And the use of prop, actually. This one uh, for best use of prop. And I can definitely see why. The prop was scissors. And this, I mean, you see the prop being used in different ways. You see it being mentioned. It becomes part of the story. So yeah. So really well done. Uh, for Film Vandals Kill the Stream. Now that I talked about my favorites... Um, I'm going to cut to the interviews that I did on site at the Arc Lodge Cinema in Columbia City with the people that I mentioned before, Kirk and Chris and Dominic and Isaac. So enjoy those interviews, and then I will be back after that to wrap up the show. Here you go. Yeah! For the first time on an episode together, <laughs> uh, welcoming Kirk Nordenstrom and Chris Flink the official city producers, the paperwork has been filed of the Seattle 48-hour film project. Yes. Welcome again, both of you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So yeah, uh, as I said, this is the first time that both of you have been on at the same time. 
true. Uh, I've worked with Kirk for a couple years now. Chris, you and I did the horror uh, last year. Right. Uh, so yeah, this year you bumped it up to even more teams. Tell me about that. <laughs> These off-season events mm-hmm. are really only supposed to be like 25 to 28 teams. Okay. And it's in like a dozen cities, dozen or 13 cities, uh, mostly in the States. And I think we'd had 30 one year. I did two groups of 15. And then they bumped it up. It used to be three to six minutes long. And then they bumped it mm. up to the standard four to seven. Right. So it went back down to 28 teams. And like two years ago... Uh, we opened registration, and within five days, we had 28 teams. I mean, it just, boom, it was full. Mm-hmm. And then we had, like, 14 on the waiting list. It was ridiculous. So last year, I asked if I could <clears throat> have a third screening group, mm-hmm. bump it up to 42 teams, and headquarters said, yeah, just because your waiting list is so long. But right. we don't, you know, we don't want it to eat into your... Your summer event, which mm-hmm. you know makes total sense, absolutely, because you know, that's 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 the big game. This is the you know fun side project mm-hmm. for a very niche audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Seattle's like rabid about it, mm-hmm. and we got nonprofit fiscal sponsorship through Northwest Film Forum this year, definitely. And uh, which means uh, you know SIF cut us a deal on the rental, mm-hmm. and they're like, yeah, but if you're going to do three screening groups, we do need you to pay for two full nights, and I'm like. Fair enough. <laughs> right. So I went to headquarters and said, okay, I got to pay for two nights. Can I have six more teams so I can have four groups of 12? Oh, okay. And because, uh, you know, the theater will pay for itself if we have like 12, for sure. on average, 12 uh, teams in a group. And they said, okay, because it's you, you know, there's only two producers that have been doing this longer than me. Right. You know, Baltimore and Boston. And soon, Highlander style, there will come a duel. Between you and Baltimore. <laughs> oh, no, I really like Rob. Oh. He also runs Portland. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> He's such a cuddly guy. Yeah, it's fun to think about the duel, though, isn't it, though? <laughs> that would be pretty great. Yeah. And Ben, who runs Boston. I mean, those guys were like, they were my mentors when mm-hmm. I first started doing this. So, you know, kind of love them to pieces. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, maybe bust a kneecap, but, you know, no fight to the death. <laughs> so, slow him down a little bit. <laughs> nice. So... Chris, I mean, as Kirk has, you know, talked about before how Seattle loves horror. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Like, what do you think it is about Seattle that really cultivates this love of horror? I think it's the rain, the doom and gloom. No, (laughs) I mean, that could be a factor. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely, you know, when it's not sunny all the time like it is in those sunny states. Mm -hmm. Um you know, you tend to have a little bit more of a, a morbid thought process, I think. I think a lot of people are fascinated with horror anyway. Sci-fi and horror here, for sure. Yeah, Without a d- doubt. definitely. I just, I think it's just the tech, all the techies, the, you know, the geeks that love their horror and their sci-fi. And there's a lot of them in the film industry here. So it's interesting to see what they come up with, for sure. Nice. That's what I think. Okay. Uh, and this year, the hosting venue for the award screening... Uh, shifted locations. We are recording live from uh, the Arc Lodge in Columbia City. Beautiful theater, you know, that we had in there for this screening, and it was packed. <laughs> and that is again something that you know you have your screening blocks and you have the teams, you know, are there. 
What always fascinates me is that these award screenings, which I have been fortunate to go to for the past couple of years, not just the teams who are winning awards, the teams who are already screened, who still just want to be here and support their local film community. That is incredible to me. It's, well, that's, I mean, that's always been a big focus for me is having this be a platform for building a, you know, more connected community, especially for people that are just starting out where it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's harder to kind of meet people, you know, that are entrenched and, you know, Seattle's kind of famous for having these siloed film communities Mm -hmm. that don't really interact. And, you know, a lot of that happens out of necessity, you know, and you're starved for money for projects, you're starved for work, you kind of stick to the people, you know, you work well with and you like working with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think it was 2011, 2012, you know, a bunch of us just, you know, kind of scattered across the community. said, let's try and get our thing to interact with your thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially when it comes to like newer filmmakers, um, people are still going to work with the people they want to work with. That's, that's the nature of how this industry works. Um, but this is great because, you know, like, you know, Dominic's team. Yeah. You know, he worked with Philip Harvey from challenge accepted on the summer event and this event, and they'd never like worked together before. They mm-hmm. just figured this is a great chance to, to try that out. So a couple of, you know, silos, connected as a result of this so well that was something that jason talked about jason Connolly from they reach they are doing a feature film and it was they met at a horror competition they met at this horror competition two years ago (laughs) on two separate teams Mm -hmm. and they're all from the puyallup area so really yeah (laughs) because that is i mean with both the summer event and the horror people come from all over to compete in this. Do you know who the furthest team was away from Seattle was this year? Portland? Was it Portland this time? I think this this time it was Portland. Okay. But I think the farthest east we've had is uh, Coeur d'Alene. I think wow. that might have been this summer <laughs> or last summer. I don't remember. Mm. But, yeah, Coeur d'Alene's as far east as we've gotten. That is pretty awesome. Nice. Now, now that we have wrapped up, uh, we are you know in the theater, as it is, closing down. What are some final thoughts, you know, about this year in particular with the larger number of teams and, you know, the different kind of aspects they had to deal with? Go ahead, Kirk. Well, first off, <laughs> no it's <pressure>. over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except for the paperwork. Um, Which he's going to make me do. See? Congratulations That's why he brought me for on. being you a You volunteered <laughs> to do the wrap-up. You're uh, right. I volunteered. I try not to just, like... Slough off all the crap jobs on you. Sounds <laughs> no. one of those. Uh, what is the corporate speak? Voluntold. Right. Um, <laughs> well, you know this year. I mean, it was a pretty standard year for both, other than you know the increased numbers in horror mm-hmm. um, and the summer event this year. It was seventy seventy six. It was our second second biggest year. Second biggest. Yeah. So the goal next year is to get back to eighty four. Because yeah. mm-hmm. that was was that twenty fifteen. That was 2015, I, yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of it went down to 70 and then 64, and now we jump back up. Okay. So the goal is to, uh, for Chris and I to kind of divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, become greater than the sum of our parts. Right. For sure. Um, and, you know, I asked 
Chris to join me because, you know, she has a skill set that I simply just don't possess. And uh, charming, good looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Yeah, keep it on. <laughs> when I'm tired and right. malleable, <laughs> defenseless. <laughs> um, but, you know, Chris has, you know, a live event mm-hmm. background. And I mean, the one thing I'm immediately thinking of after, you know, I botched like two things in the awards ceremony. Sorry, John. No problem. No problem. It was all good. Congratulations to the teams who won the awards that this podcast is a proud sponsor of. <laughs> Both the real ones and the ones that were announced. Right. Um, you know, so when it comes to the, you know, the actual events. Mm hmm. Um, I've always just kind of like just run on habit and, you know, instinct and largely, you know, winging them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think Chris can bring more structure and, and focus, not only to like, you know, the awards and the screenings, mm-hmm. but to, you know, the networking and social events. Right. Yeah. That's really important as we try to build, we want to, you know, figure out ways to get different diverse people together to put this together, you know, and, and getting them excited focusing on getting more media coverage yeah you know because that's one thing that this is an amazing thing that's been going on for so long in seattle and to get media coverage uh in general has just been very frustrating Mm -hmm. um so that's a big goal for next year as much as i love getting being the exclusive you are the exclusive (laughs) media partner of the 48 hour film project that is something that and we all have talked about that right you know that as much as I love being here and being the person who the interviews, it still kind of hurts me to be like, we have an amazing film community. Why am I the only one here? Right. So well, that's yeah. going to change, John. Well, okay. it's I mean Highlander style. Whoever right. it is, I have to take them out. Boom. <laughs> well, next year we'll go and do some. Uh, we'll have to go down for the Portland screenings yeah. and just go to all of them because. Mm. You know, they're a 375-seat theater at the Hollywood Theater in in Portland. And uh, there's not a spare inch anywhere in that theater. I mean, it is just packed to the gills. How many teams approximately are there in the triple digits? No, no. I think they're 52. Oh, okay. Nice, nice. Uh, Everything is just packed in mm -hmm. those 52 teams. So we have a 500-seat theater. And, you know, we tend to – our numbers aren't as big as theirs. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a, a ton of excitement, um, and support among, amongst their filmmakers. Not that there isn't an excite, excitement and mm-hmm. support amongst ours. Um, but there's just, uh, there's more intensity gotcha. I think, uh, in Portland and I want to, you know, import that bottle it and bring it here. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you both again for, you know, giving me the opportunity to, cover this uh, incredible event. I mean, again, it just, every year I get inspired. Every year I'm looking at these films still baffled <laughs> at what people can do in 48 hours. Right. Yeah, this year, well, what I haven't seen, one of the trend is incredible drone photography. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there was some of that this year that just blew me away. Yeah, even Area 43 though, had some amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, welcome to the lake house. Sacred, nice, some nice, yeah, sacred. Yeah, they they all had mm-hmm. some good stuff. So nice. Do you think that will be a continuing trend with drone photography, or is that something that will kind of? I think it's. I mean, it, it'll. It's 
It's here to stay. It's here to but... stay. It's kind of uh, you know glamorized right now because right. it's also relatively new yeah. and accessible. So I think you know for a couple of years we'll see kind of gratuitous drone shots. But I think <laughs> right. eventually of naked it'll, people, it'll, naked yeah. people laying in the you know grass, in the you know, grass stuff like and that. yelm, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, you know, ultimately, I think it'll it'll settle into just being another part of the filmmaker's toolbox. Gotcha. Um, and I think people will find ways to use it uh, more in in a more interesting fashion narratively rather than okay. just, wow, pretty landscape. Big landscape Look, Mount shot. Rainier. Yeah. <laughs> that's not to dismiss what people have used it of for course. so far. But, you know, that's but right now that is kind of what it is focused on as opposed to what you believe, you know, what kind of. Right. Looking it. forward to seeing what they can challenge themselves to do in yeah. the future with it. You know? Excellent. There's just a lot of wow factor with drone right yeah. now. Absolutely. Nice. And then, Chris, social media, where can people find you and Events on the Edge, the other thing that keeps Just you very busy? At events on the Edge for Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, all the same. Just Perfect. Events on the Edge. All right. And, uh, and of course, the Seattle 48-hour film project has an Instagram now. So. It does. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Instagram. <laughs> I feel old when I uh, go on to Instagram. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, so do I. When I go on there and I'm like, again, like there are filmmakers on Instagram using their phones, using yep. the apps. Like it is mm-hmm. just pretty incredible. I don't know. I just like seeing complete sentences, I guess. <laughs> Shots <crazy>. fired. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, so many hashtags. What's actually being said? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> technology is I scary. <laughs> technology is not scary. It's abbreviations apparently, mm. aren't they? <laughs> fair. Totally fair. All, All right. right. Well, we gotta we gotta wrap it up because they're trying to get out of here in the uh, theater. But again, thank you again for thank a you. great year. And yeah, we will see you in just a few months. Yeah. Uh. No kidding. <laughs> Thanks, right. John. Appreciate thank it. You. Bye. <laughs> Joining me in my illustrious studio uh, here at the Arc Lodge Cinema Beautiful. is Isaac Trimble, uh, the man behind the award-winning Sacred. Uh, with the team Three Warriors. Welcome yeah. to the show. Thank you, thank you. So I've been wanting you on my show since last year when I saw Red Fawn <laughs> and it won my best of the festival for the horror uh, challenge. So it took me a year, but now I have you on my show. So thank you for making the time. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, the uh, um, we previously were team red fawn and we did a shadow dancer last year for seattle horror and we had just such a wonderful time and uh we were unfortunately we were in new york at the time we were at urban action showcase uh to promote uh, awakening which was uh director of ron kachaya's one of his first films mm-hmm. yeah so uh yeah so it's good to be here and chat with you finally yeah uh, valid excuse i, I will uh, accept yeah. being in new york <laughs> <laughs> no that is something so one of the themes with with your films that we have seen so far is obviously leaning deep into, you know, the cultural heritage weaving through your films, you know, Mm -hmm. being native and having that be a focus. How would you say that ties into kind of the greater advocacy work and representation that you guys are working on? Well, like what we want to do is have native Americans in film. Mm -hmm. You know, when I met Laurent Cachayo, he was, he was in school for film at the Art Institute of Portland. And he saw me and I saw him and immediately we had this bond of, oh my gosh, there's another Native American doing film. Mm-hmm. 
And so we decided that if we were going to work together that we wanted to have Native American centric films because growing up we had like, you know, like West Studi, Graham Greene, mm -hmm. Irene, you know, we had all these indigenous folks, you know, even Saginaw Grant, just, just being Native Americans in film. So Indians watching Indians on TV, yeah. you know. And then when Smoke Signals came out, that was something that was really cool because we got to see Native Americans in film in this modern sense. And it wasn't this... Um, Cowboys and Indians, Wild West. Exactly. Wild West stuff. <laughs> you know, we weren't like, you know, talk like this, huh? We, they were people that yeah. we were, that we could really relate to. And so when we decided to do uh, our, our first film for the 48 hour in Portland, it was Missing Indigenous, mm. which originally had a female cast. And when the female cast had dropped out, it ended up being uh, my brother and I as, as the lead characters. But still, we wanted to create something that that was uniquely indigenous. So with all the things that we're doing, we want to be able to make sure that we're showcasing Native Americans. And if we're Native Americans creating film and that makes it political, then it's just what it is. Mm -hmm. But we want to continue to tell Native American stories because I think that's something that uh, Hollywood's really missing. And, and Laurent says that time and again to me that, you know, it needs to be, these stories need to be told uh, out there from a Native American perspective, not a non-Native American perspective about Native Americans. Absolutely. You know, so we're, we're trying to put it out there, but we most definitely welcome non-Native folks to totally assist and try to help tell these stories because there's a lot of stories out there to tell. Well, absolutely. And allies are important 100 percent. and it is something that it can definitely be you know a sensitive issue you know sometimes with allies even with the best of intentions they just might not know how you know mm -hmm. to help or how to assist how would you recommend you know allies working you know with you and your your film pursuits hmm. i think that um having any kind of assistance um at all if folks have an idea about lighting or if they have an idea about how we can tell a story a little bit better for the taste of another audience then mm -hmm. that's totally helpful because those are things that even though being um you know native american and irish myself like it's you know I have this polarity you know in my bloodline as well as in my family like you know where there's things we do on the native side that we don't necessarily do on the irish side mm -hmm. and so i'm open to to many perspectives because it only makes the storytelling better you know it's very multicultural and we actually really live in a multicultural village like there's not one setup that's just just for irish folks not just one mm -hmm. setup that's for you know such and such folks we all live in this metropolis of you know such a mix so it all really you know anybody who really wants to help it's you know let's get these stories told let's get them out there especially from a native uh, american centric standpoint you know we want to make sure that we're we're telling good stories and sometimes it's it it's just good to have a different perspective you know nice now last year with shadow dancer mm -hmm. you told so much story through dance and with just not dialogue and just really focusing on the performance of the two amazing actors that you had. And this year, as opposed to the dance, you had more of the traditional music side mm -hmm. of things, as well as a lot of dialogue. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so, you know, with dance, kind of that, that first time up here, now with music, what do you see for yourself in year three? This is me telling you that you oh, were doing year uh, three, yeah. by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, crew, we're doing year three. <laughs> right. John said so. Um, uh, well, and in Shadow Dancer, it's really a vision that uh, director Laurent Kachaya had. He mm -hmm. really wanted to 
have that perspective of dance, of seeing that we battle things without our eyes. We battle without the physical aspect of, of these sicknesses. And so he created a world that had the dancers in it to kind of portray that story. And so through dance, which is really, for, for me, I've, I've, you know, I'm kind of seeing it as like, oh my gosh, I was dancing out there and it's, it's winter and I could have slipped around and stuff. And then I'm mm-hmm. looking over at Jacob and, and, and Jacob who played our, um, our, our cursed prophecy um, is also blindfolded and he's out there, you know, just half naked, all painted, you know, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, either of us could slip and just totally fall over the place. But uh, Ron created such a, a beautiful film through his directing style mm-hmm. and everybody was really willing to help and everybody was willing, willing to help because I don't think that anybody really wanted to uh, be elected to have paint all over them and go out in the middle of the woods and dance. You it was know? kind of rainy and misty that weekend also. <laughs> Jacob Wise is a trooper. He's such a trooper. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. And then this year, you know, doing Sacred, we wanted to make sure that we were working with actors that we didn't work with previously. Like Simona Ortega was originally going to be uh, one of the detectives in Missing Indigenous. And oh, okay. um, unfortunately, you know, it didn't, it didn't quite work out, but we were able to caster in in sacred the film we did this year and we wanted to make sure that we're working with those other actors making our pool bigger with in within the indigenous uh population of native american actors and 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 people who wanted to assist so in year three i can see that um leron would really want to tell an impactful story and something that people haven't seen before because every film that i work on with him is better and better each time and every time I think, oh, my gosh, I can't believe we're doing this. And now when I look back to some of the first films we've done, not even for the 48, I think, you know, that was totally doable. You know, and, and <laughs> when at the time you're pulling your hair out, <laughs> freaking out, not sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, so I made a joke about my my hair falling out and I was like, oh, man, my hair's falling out. And, and then my brother was like, no, you're just making room for that eyebrow that comes up when we're not wow. sure what's going to go on. So so in year three, I think people can expect to have a. a a, an impactful film, Native American centric. That's really just going to wow the audience. This is our second second year in a row that we've won audience award. Yeah, and um, I, I'm just so delighted to tell the crew because for for me, uh, the thing of producing film is I like putting people together, but more so I like watching people appreciate each other. I, I like watching the, you know, uh, with with Ron. I like how the actors are you know, immersed in the story with him and how mm-hmm. writing from Solomon, uh, Solomon Trimble, my brother, um, you know, he's, he's telling that story and he's gets to see that live and he appreciates that. And then the crafty people, you know, and people really don't talk about, you know, the behind the scenes stuff so much, but I totally do. The crafty folks are coming in, they're feeding people and food is mood and everybody's having a good time. We're joking around and makeup is always fun, always amazing uh, to watch them work. And, uh, you know, all the PAs, everybody's having such a great time. So when I get to see uh, the BTS, all their pictures and stuff and all their posts on Facebook and all the rest mm-hmm. of social medias, they're having such a great time. And so for me, when we win an award or we're, we get an honorable mention or something, for me, that is a way that I, that I feel that not only do I appreciate what all these people are doing with all these things I've gathered together, but Laurent has directed it in such a way that people really appreciate the vision that's coming out through the writing, through the acting, through the makeup, through everybody who's taken care of, all the PAs who had to run around and get batteries and right. stuff. And, or blankets, like, like in oh, Shadow oh Dancer. <laughs> or, or blankets, or go to Goodwill and pick up the makeup that, mm-hmm. that we might be missing, or the shoes we may need, or the props, which is very hard to find 
on, on a weekend, mm-hmm. you know, when they tell you, oh, well, you're going to need these three elements. Yeah, no big deal. Three, two, one, go. And the rest of us are all like, oh, my gosh, where the heck are we going to find safety scissors at, you know, right. one o'clock in the morning on, on, a, on a Saturday? You know, mm-hmm. like, I, how's that going to happen? So for me, it's really about the appreciation of the crew. And so when I see it and when the audience uh, votes us in for an award, I feel like it's not just me saying, hey, you did a good job, but it's also the audience and the other people seeing it saying, you know what, you guys did an amazing job. And it's not necessarily myself or just Solomon or, or just Ron or just this and that it, or these other people. It's everybody all at once collectively made a film. Mm-hmm. So so I have a hard time when uh, when somebody will say like, oh, you know, you created this film. And I say, well, I try to create a condition for the film, but mm. everybody together made that film. I like that a lot. Because, yeah, I mean, as the kind of showrunner, you know, with this type of thing, you know, creating the atmosphere to allow for creativity mm. is vitally important. So, excellent. Well, I have loved both of your films uh, the past two years. Cannot wait for season three. Uh, we spoke it into existence. It is happening, everybody. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, and where can people find you know you on social media and also all of the other film projects that you are involved in? Because yeah, you you stay busy. Oh, oh, oh man, <laughs> it is it is so busy. Tomorrow we're going to uh, uh, Pachang, California, for the um, the California American Indigenous Film Festival. Awesome. It's put on by Chris Ayer. Uh, the director of Smoke Signals, mm-hmm. and we'll be out there for that. We're going to do some social media coverage and hang out with some folks, and then we have a few days break, and then we'll be off for LA Skins Festival in Hollywood at the Chinese Theater. So yeah, we like to we like to stay busy, and along with that, we end up doing um, you know music videos in between, short films, and we're working on working on a feature film right now. And uh, you know everybody says like, oh yeah, man, we should all do a feature and stuff, you know. And I hear that from other folks, but mm-hmm. but on my side of it, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're gonna do what? And so <laughs> like, you know, it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know? But I remember my brother Solomon. I uh, thought about going to acting school. Uh, we did a lot of acting, you know, um, through the '80s and into the '90s, and it, it was very very tough, you know, because there wasn't a lot of folks, you know, casting the Americans at that time. At least for us, you know, especially even within theater, it was that kind of Western thing, or maybe sure. we're very tokenized, you know. And I had a conversation with him a few years ago um, before my mom had passed, and Solomon just said, you know, you can sit on the bench as an actor. And you can wait for somebody to have a film or you can create the conditions and just make the film, make a platform for indigenous people to be able to tell stories. And I took it really to heart and I took it very mm-hmm. seriously. And so I started like buying equipment from some of my friends who, you know, may not be the greatest equipment in the world, but like, something. you know, but we started out, uh, Ron and I started out with a T3i camera and at the time it was not the greatest camera in the world, but it like the, the Canon rebel. Uh, yeah. The Canon rebel. Wow. And, nice. Uh, we, uh, some of the stuff, we didn't necessarily have a microphone and whatnot, but before that even it was, I think it was like a Sony Handycam mm-hmm. or something. And that and a bounce card is what, you know, I had started with. And so, uh, creating these conditions for indigenous people to kind of tell their stories uh, kind of really resonated with me because after we'd finished a, a, a short film and then we finished a music video and then it was other competition shorts and 24-hour shorts it started really building into something that we were getting noticed and we were getting noticed because of the type of work that we were doing but we really feel like it was the part of uh, people noticing us was because we stayed so diligent on the work mm-hmm. and we just have to keep forging forward you know no matter what happens just continue continually tell stories so um, Solomon's words really, really stuck with me a lot. And 
And Ron, he is always working on something. <laughs> right. Everybody thinks I'm busy. He is way busy all the time. I, I feel like I've got to pencil him in like, Mr. Director, sir, can I have your time? <laughs> and then, so like, what is a website or social media where they can oh. keep up with you? Oh, my gosh. Well, um, fa- Facebook is a really big thing uh, uh, with me. You know, it's just Isaac Trimble at okay. Facebook.com. And then Laurent Kachai at Facebook.com. We're working on um, possibly setting up a, a production company. That way we can give back to um, that way we can give back to our folks, you know, our indigenous folks and also our tribes and try to make sure that we are, we're helping out in that way. Because there's a lot, of, a lot of young kids out there who, who may not have, have the means to be able to do stuff. And we want to be able to support them in the best way we can, whether that's acting or cinematography or camera work uh, in addition to that or, or just in writing. You know, Solomon's very very big on helping young folks tell their stories um, and we're also working on website stuff to see whether or not we're going to go towards that production house kind of way okay but um cool well i will put a link to your facebook be. profile in the show notes so people can get in touch oh my gosh no i'm just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. awesome well thanks for taking the time isaac yeah! welcoming uh is dominic barbaro uh the person behind area 43 the multiple award winning area 43 welcome thank you <laughs> so this year with Area 43 with your film at the 48 hour horror film project there was some beautiful cinematography which of course you already know because you won the cinematography award thank you thank you for so talk about how you approach your cinematography well a lot of it starts with a location mm-hmm. so uh you know the 48 to kind of get the most out of it And myself, personally, I like to shoot natural light when I can. Okay. So we didn't have a whole lot of lighting in ours, minus a couple small scenes. So kind of just danced around a LED, and that's really about it. And you had this beautiful outdoor scene. Did you guys shoot, was it like Vashon, or where did you guys primarily shoot? So we were at uh, Joel Deerfield's... Uh, place, which I think is the Wilcox Family Farms. I know a lot of people have shot there. Um, we actually shot a short film called Trumpocalypse for another Horror 48 there <laughs> before. And, you know, we were just like running out of time and we're like, okay, we need a location. And just so happens it was open. So I was like, ah, we can go there again and see if we can do something different. So, yeah. Do you think of the kind of location as its own character? Like, is that how you kind of shape your story? Yeah, definitely. Uh, that is part of the approach. Luckily, with in our situation for our team, I got to write as well as direct mm-hmm. and shoot. So keeping kind of the same vision going all the time uh, helps in in like knowing the location, being able to write for the location, being able to shot list and come up with shots and you know what might look cool there, and then maybe write some stuff around what a cool shot would be. Then also the opposite of that is, you know, write a cool shot around some like really fun, interesting drama that's at the scripts. Team Narwhal, this is definitely not your first time uh, around the block. How many of these have you competed in, including regular and horror? So I think uh, in various teams that I've directed and shot stuff for, I think this is the fifth. I think we've done three of the normal 48s and then two of the, the horror ones. The last horror one we did we didn't really care about the awards, so we just were like, hey, let's make a cool short film and 
get disqualified, whatever, just to make a <laughs> right? cool short film. Um, and everybody was on board, so that was kind of fun. Um, but this and one was what definitely... Was, what was that one? Was that was, last year? It was called Trumpocalypse. It was oh, like right. two, two years ago. Okay, gotcha. On the eve of the presidential debacle. Uh, in the actual Trumpocalypse. Yes. Yes. We created that universe, apparently. I hope Wow. Not. How dare you? I know. It's so unfortunate. So after doing this for a couple years, you know, yep. various roles, what is it that keeps bringing you back? Um, what I like about the 48s is it's just done in a weekend. You know, yep. if you're doing a short film, I think it's a, lo- it's a really great opportunity to like try something you've been wanting to try whether it's like stylistically aesthetically character stuff whatever the case may be um and it's you know you're not like trying to raise a budget everybody's down to help you can do a lot with a little and it's also done in 48 hours so you're not like waiting in this like realm of post for months for a short film you know, especially short films don't ever really make you money back. So it's hard to spend money to make them. So, um, the 48s are a great opportunity to just keep the narrative stuff going and just keep your juices flowing a couple times a year and just get out and, you know, try what you can try. Plus, you know, when you're on a normal set, you've got all the ability to try to keep things wrangled. Whereas like on a 48, it's like the best exercise of like MacGyvering everything and just like being on your most a game to just like roll with the punches, come up with new solutions and then also be willing to just, okay, that part of the script doesn't work. Move on. Or like, what's your gut instinct? Let's, you know, it's, it's really good at just honing, uh, a lot of those skills that then do come in handy, you know, on bigger shoots and whatnot. So. Very cool. Now the touch on the doing a lot for a little, yep. because again, you have 48 hours yep. to complete your film. What is the biggest corner that you have cut? The biggest corner that we've cut. Or biggest MacGyverism. (laughs) You know, I really feel like we try not to cut corners. I'm one of those people where I'll try to build a team, and if all the right pieces aren't in place, I won't sign up. Hmm. So, you know, it's like I got to make sure I have a great editor. I got to make sure, like, we have at least some locations. um, And then I want to, like, make sure we have a sound designer on board somewhere that is willing to do stuff. It's like, if any of those three things aren't lined up ahead of time or can't be made to happen, mm-hmm. I'm just like, eh, <laughs> you know, I don't want to mess with it. We'll just let everybody else play this year. I guess this year had the biggest corner cut. We didn't write a script. <laughs> uh, yeah, that counts. So <laughs> we kind of just brainstormed some scenes and then just were like, hey, you know, the actors are good. We'll let them do their thing and, you know, kind of, we know where we need to be within the scene, so let's just kind of come up with some loose outlines and then go for it. So, Very cool. Yeah. Excellent. And then what is a piece of advice, since you have been doing this a few times, for those future filmmakers, whether it is the next 48 or maybe the horror one after seeing this year, what is your piece of advice for them? My advice is just to do it. I mean, you, I, I know some people get discouraged and maybe see other people's that may be great or really, you know good and they're i don't know if we can do this we don't Mm -hmm. have the skills you can't get the skills without practicing the skills and this is like the most opportune event to really meet other people network and just practice 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 and even if you are good it's still a great realm to just practice 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 i know that's why i do it so um 
yeah, just get in there and do it. Don't be afraid. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sitting down with me, Dominic Barbaro, uh, leader of Team Narwhal, among with other people. Congratulations on all of your awards. And where can people find you on social media? Where can they keep up with your filmmaking career? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, if you want to follow uh, my Instagram, there is, uh, I think it's at Dominic underscore Barbaro um, or Facebook or uh, my website, Dominic the DP at gmail or at dominicdp.com <laughs> that's it my, i give my email out way too much um so yeah excellent all right thanks again dominic thanks again appreciate it yeah! thank you again to all of my guests you know who sat down with me i did this after the screening block was over as the theater was shutting down so thank you again to the volunt or the volunteers the well the volunteers for the festival but also the staff at the arc lodge in columbia city arc lodge cinema in columbia city for just kind of letting me set up a little studio in one of their theaters and for being patient with me as I wrangled people into said studio and shoved a mic in their face. So thank you to Kirk and Chris again for giving me the opportunity to cover this event and allowing me to be a sponsor. I love supporting local film. I think it is very important and I encourage people to continue to do that in their own communities. Uh, Thank you to Dominic and Isaac as well for talking about their films. I will put links in the show notes below to either their Facebook pages or another place where you should be able to find uh, the films that we talked about. So that was it for this week's episode of the About to Review podcast. Uh, I talked about Nutcracker and the Four Realms, which I gave a bad to because I just did not really enjoy my time with it, as as weird as that sounds. <laughs> um... I kind of hate to say that because, again, like I said, Nutcracker means a lot to me. But I think because it means a lot to me, this would have had to be something spectacular, and it was not. So it gets a bad, A Private War. Incredible film. Highly, highly recommend it. Rosamund Pike is definitely, you heard it here first. Probably not. Other people have probably been saying it. Shortlist for the Oscar for Best Actress. So definitely see that movie. And then The 48-Hour Film Project. I will put a link to that below as well. Uh, They do two events per year, and they're also very active in the community. Uh, The Seattle Film Summit is coming up in a couple weeks. I believe they're going to be there doing some stuff as well, or at least kind of talking about it. So find them, check that out. As for upcoming things or upcoming episodes for the About About to Review podcast, um, there will be another episode dropping very, very soon. And that will be about the Vancouver Asian Film Festival, which I covered, or which I attended last weekend. Had a blast. Saw some incredible films that I will be talking about, as well as there are some interviews with the festival directors for the Vancouver Vancouver Asian Film Festival. Directors and actors and all sorts of things. So that episode will be dropping very soon. So definitely look forward to that, as well as... Next week's episode, we'll have a review for The Grinch and Widows and I believe the new uh, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo movie, uh, Girl in the Spider's Web. Yes, I think that is it. So that will be on next week's episode. In the meantime, please follow the podcast on social media at About to Review. You can stream the episodes directly from the website abouttoreview.com, which is where you can also find full links to the show notes and guests. Also, if you want to support the show, there are links in the description. 
You can go to the Amazon wish list, click through if you want to help me and buy one of my notebooks that I've been writing in since the beginning of the podcast that I burn through all the time. You can buy a notebook for the show and that would be great. It is like $8 or $9. Uh, But yeah, that would be fantastic. You can also subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. I always appreciate that. Uh, Facebook, I already said Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at About to Review. But yeah, find the podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Alexa via TuneIn, anywhere you can find podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you to my guest on this episode. So for this episode of the About to Review podcast, I have been your host, that guy named John, and we will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Together.